Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. Today, in the seventh podcast of this series, we're going to begin a new topic, which is the first of our natural fiber category, protein fibers. So we're going to start with just what are protein fibers in general, and then we'll dig into something I love, uh, which will probably be in a, in a future short episode, uh, wool. And of course, we'll have to talk about silk as well uh, before we get on to the minor cellulosics. Protein fibers are a really important historical fiber. Uh, There are some that say that basically the entirety of the British trading empire was built on the fact that those little islands uh, out there off the coast of uh, Europe could produce really great wool. Uh, or that they took the effort to breed in wool uh, because uh, some of the original wool brought in by the Vikings uh, is not necessarily the softest, right? So uh, wool can take a credit uh, for a lot of things. And then, of course, uh, silk, um, which uh, was a mystery to uh, Europeans for millennia, but uh, had been totally sorted and created great innovations uh, in China and then Japan. So these two major protein fibers uh, form uh, the core of what is a really exciting topic. I'm going to be honest, wool is my favorite. But but let's just start today in this first podcast in this uh, segment on protein fibers by just clearing up like what are protein fibers made of? Hint, it's protein. And uh, how, do, how does that influence their properties? And, and we've got the properties on a lock now, right? We've already learned all about things like luster and surface contour and um, orientation of polymers. And so we can like just nail those all down for protein fibers and then we'll get into the fun of protein fibers in particular. So as I've hinted at or discussed in previous uh, podcasts about uh, polymers, the uh, protein fibers are special because they're the one group where the polymers are not made out of the same myrrh over and over. It isn't just pearl, 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 right? It's diamond, ruby, sapphire, topaz. And that's because they're made up of polymers composed of amino acids. And amino acids can take a variety of forms. Not a nutrition major, and so I couldn't tell you they're 21 or 22. I know it's fewer than the letters of the alphabet. Uh, and I know I took L-glutamine one time, and I think L-carnitine. I ha- still haven't resolved that from the previous podcast. So um, and please don't write in and tell me about it. I, I actually am not that interested in bodybuilding supplements. But uh, this variety in amino acids means that actually we can have protein fibers that are really pretty dissimilar from each other because the uh, creature that was creating this fiber Uh, Their DNA was coded to use different amino acids. So we can have a fiber like silk, which is uh, lustrous and smooth and translucent. Uh, And right next to it, we can have the human hair, which is enormous and and frankly kind of scratchy, right? A hair shirt isn't called that for nothing. So, um, you know, this variety that's created by the amino acids is important to consider. 
We won't get too deep into that, but we'll hit it kind of a little bit as we hit each of the, the major fibers. Now, there are two big groups that we can talk about, and that's why we'll split this uh, series up into some sub-podcasts, uh, because we've got to talk about animal fibers. I'm going to talk all about wool, and then we'll move on to the minor animal fibers. All of those are staple length, so if it comes from an animal, if it's a mammal, uh, which is where we get the, the fibers from, then uh, it's going to be staple length. Even the Angora goat, which produces mohair, can only get up to about 18 inches. But the silkworm can extrude a fiber which is miles long, and that fiber is so long it, it qualifies as a filament. It's actually like the OG filament. It like taught us what we know about filaments. Like we invented manufacturing in order to try and make silk. So the silk fiber is the one fiber that's a filament, unless it's broken or we cut it up, in which case we can make it into shorter lengths, which turns it into staple. Isn't that the fun? That it can kind of be either or. So those are the two big groups that we're going to be talking about, animal fibers and um, uh, insect-based fibers. So we're not going to talk about spiders very much, just, just, we're just not, okay? All right, so uh, when I talk about these um, categories of fibers like protein or uh, regenerated cellulosic or synthetic, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to build a podcast for you where we just talk about the properties of the whole group in general. Yeah, I just told you, like, silk is different than wool because it uses different amino acids. But we can just say some stuff in general about any fiber made from amino acids. And the cool thing about that is we can then kind of predict even if we were to manufacture a fiber from proteins, right? Because we could actually do that. We can make fibers from agricultural waste. Yeah, we'll get there in a little bit, what I'm talking about there. But um, it will have properties that are similar to, not identical, usually worse than, but similar to, the naturally occurring fibers, right? So learning about the properties in general kind of helps us understand what, for example, a regenerated protein fiber made from soy protein might perform like. So in general, uh, protein fibers have these advantageous properties. They're very uh, elastic. They have high elasticity. And let's be honest, a good bit of this is because uh, they represent some of the most three-dimensional, the most crimped fibers in existence. Uh, we can manufacture fibers to have a crimp, but they're always just the imitators of fibers like wool, which have glorious 3D crimp. Um, because the amino acids have lots of variety in the surface of the polymers, they also do a lot of cool cross-linking. Uh, we'll talk about that sulfur-sulfur bond when we get down to wool. So that also contributes to the, the uh, resiliency. So elasticity and resiliency. Um, they are very amorphous and that means that they have a lot of airy space inside of them because they're just not that organized, right? It's just... A, you know, animal fibers made out of proteins and um, these proteins just can't like lay up as tidy as like um, uh, polymer after polymer after polymer of polyester can. So uh, that means that they're going to be very lightweight in comparison to their size. So they have low density, right? And it's a, something we love about a fiber like silk, right? That it's actually pretty light and airy. Um, now we can make something like a wool sweater really bulky, but think about a cashmere sweater, right? Very light, very airy, something we really love about it, that lightweight, low density. And then here is something that is actually really um, important to understand about protein fibers and the end uses that we use them for. 
thinking of my little niece and nephew running around the house when they were like three or four in their Icelandic wool uh, pajamas. And you think like kids in wool pajamas? But yeah, once upon a time, a long time ago, when wool manufacturing was um, prioritized and uh, people paid good money for good quality wool products, people wore wool as their base layer. Even now, I'm reaching out, I'm touching it right now. Um, let me pull it down from my closet here. This is a uh, Patagonia wool base layer, and it's very soft. And the reason that I would use that as a base layer on, for example, a transatlantic flight, right? Although here's a silk shirt I might use as a base layer too. It's my little base layer section of the closet. They're both coral, by the way, coral colored. Um, is because that wool is very absorbent. Wool or protein fibers in general have a moisture regain of between 11 and 18%. Let me explain to you what moisture regain means. Uh, we measure moisture regain by forcing fibers to lose as much water as possible. We do that by either heating them up, right, in a low temp oven that basically forces out the moisture because it kind of cooks off. We do that without trying to cook the fiber because we don't want it to lose weight from being cooked. We just want it to sweat off any moisture. Or we might put it in a container with what are called desiccating salts. Uh, and you find little packets of those desiccating salts in the bottom of vitamins or in baggies of electronics, right? So if we pack a bunch of those around a fiber, the salts will suck all the moisture out of the fiber because the salts are really thirsty and greedy and want the moisture for itself. And then we will weigh the fiber in that desiccated state. And so we'll say, oh, look, it weighs X number of ounces, right? Then we set it in a humidity and temperature controlled room. And by controlled, I mean it is exactly 70 degrees Fahrenheit, 65% relative humidity, plus or minus two degrees Fahrenheit and plus or minus two percentage points of relative humidity. That's like the national standard for the conditioning chamber. So we put the fiber out in the conditioning chamber for exactly 24 hours. And we let it soak up as much humidity as it wants from that 65% humidity environment. And then at exactly 24 hours, since we weighed it the first time, we weigh it again and we see how much moisture it regained and that percentage right of its own weight that it regains is the moisture regain and of course if we think about human beings as terrible as would be like weighing before and after um, you know your freshman 15 but uh, moisture regain right 18% um, uh, would be if somebody weighed uh, 200 pounds uh, uh, before you know at the end of their fabulous desiccating diet and then um, uh, after it weighed them again let's see 18 times 236 right they weighed 236 pounds right so that would be the the regain so we can do this with fibers and we see that actually certain fibers in the protein category have the highest moisture regain of any fibers out there this is important because it gives the fibers a property that we call hygroscopicity. They're hygroscopic. Now, H-Y-G-R-O, not H-Y-D-R-O, hydro, right? We've heard of hydrophobic. That means something that's afraid of water. And there are fibers that are hydrophobic, like literally they use chemistry to repel fibers from their surface. And there are fibers that are hydrophilic, like cotton, rayon, hydrophilic. They love water, they'll soak it right up. Um, they have receptors on the surface of those polymers that are no enemy to water. Move right on in, be cozy. But the structure of fibers like wool with the little 
cuticles on the surface, little scales that can open and allow water to penetrate into the surface of the fiber down into the actual uh, structure of the fiber in between the polymers. But then this cuticle surface, this cuticle layer is basically like, a, like shingles or like a skin. And that means that when we touch the fiber, we can't actually make contact with the moisture. The moisture is locked away inside the fiber. So I, I want you to think about this. You've got three choices for socks for your cross the desert hiking trip. Okay, and you would think like, I'm not wearing wool socks, it's the desert, I'm gonna be hot. I'm gonna wear cotton socks. Big mistake, because your feet are gonna sweat. It's the desert, you're hot. And the sweat from your feet, where's it gonna go? It's gonna be absorbed into that cotton fiber because the fiber is hydrophilic. It's gonna love the moisture, but it's not gonna lock it away inside its surface. So your feet are actually gonna be sitting in soggy fiber. Your feet are gonna get wet and you're gonna get blisters. Almost ASAP, right? Now, if you chose the polyester, it is hydrophobic, right? So it's gonna repel moisture. That means that the fiber itself won't be, won't be wet, but the moisture is still in your shoe, right? So you're still gonna be stepping in it, right? Every time you step down, the moisture will pop back through the surface of the polyester fiber and touch your foot. So you're gonna get blisters. It won't be ASAP, it'll be after that. But if you put on the wool sock, right? You're actually not going to be any hotter than the temperature of your body because the wool has thermal retention, which means that it's an insulating layer, right? And we insulate a cooler to keep it cool inside. If we insulate our foot, it will stay the temperature of our body. Just like this base layer will, right? When I wear it on the plane, so I'm not cooling any further in the cold plane. Uh, and the sweat from my foot will be absorbed into the surface of the fiber, right down inside, in between the polymers, and then the cuticle will lock closed so that my foot will actually feel like it's gliding across smooth, not wet fibers. So I may never get blisters if I'm wearing wool socks. There's a reason why every soldier that went into the desert in the Middle East, right, was required to wear wool on their feet because it has the best performance. So hydrophobic, hates uh, fibers, that would be uh, like synthetics. Hydrophilic, uh, hates water. Hydrophilic, loves water, right? But hygroscopic, the special property of protein fibers, especially wool, where it is not necessarily wet to the touch, right? So it can provide that nice thermal retention and absorbency without actually feeling soggy. Uh, now, I've just mentioned that uh, obviously certain fibers like uh, protein fibers have an amorphous polymer structure that allow them to um, allow water to actually access the inside of the fiber and have a place to hang out, right? Um, and I've talked about how a fiber like polyester, which is hydrophobic, there isn't any way any water is getting inside that fiber. Uh, we'll talk about it in a while, but it's actually a huge challenge to even get dye to get on that fiber, right? Let alone um, to get the fiber wet. And it's partly why like your yoga pants end up kind of smelly because they're not actually getting wet in the washing machine, right? The fiber's so hydrophobic. So uh, again, gross town, but we'll go there later. So uh, fibers that um, are hydrophobic repel moisture on their surface. This is a chance for me to introduce another property that's called wicking. Uh, I use little air quotes there, wicking, right? And wicking is what synthetic fibers brag about because they can't brag about absorbency. 
And wicking is the fact that the hydrophobic fibers basically form sort of a reverse capillary tube. They hate moisture so much that any vapor on the surface of your skin, right, that condenses into liquid on the synthetic fibers will actually be sucked through the textile and arrive on the other side, right? Because the fibers like get along, get along, get along. It gets out to the outside air where the vapor pressure is lower, right? And the fiber then uh, evaporates. So it actually does help make you drier. It's doing it not by absorbing the moisture. It's doing it by wicking the moisture through the fiber, through the fabric, and then allowing it to evaporate on the other side. And that's why we see uh, this type of material used as performance-based layers for athletes, right? Um, the athletes are uh, not necessarily um, worried about like long-term core temperature management, like uh, somebody on a on a flight or a, a climber would be, where they would go for silk or or the protein fibers as base layers, right? Because they need that additional thermal retention. This would be people who can who want to do their workout and they're doing it in an air-conditioned room, right? So they just want to help get their sweat away from their body to allow them to remain a bit more comfortable during the workout. So that is what happens with those um, hydrophobic fibers, that wicking. Had to explain it sometime. I could have waited until later, but as long as I was all into your pores, I might as well get it done now. All right, so we've talked about the great things about protein fibers. Let me lay down some of the weaknesses because... Yeah, they're, they're not perfect. Uh, they're so amorphous, all right? And then, then that absorbency, it has a downside. They have very low tenacity. You could pull a hair fiber off of your head right now. It might take a little bit of uh, trouble, right? Depending on how strong your hair is. And this would depend on the amino acids your body was using to make the hair in part, right? So your diet does play a role in that. But if you try to pull your hair apart, you would manage to snap a single hair fiber with your bare hands. And nobody would be like, ooh, look how strong she is, right? When the fibers get wet, they're even weaker. You know you're not supposed to brush your wet hair, right? Because if your hair is susceptible to breaking when it's wet, those water molecules are in there between the polymers, kind of distracting them. And so the polymers are like not even really thinking about each other anymore. And if a brush comes along and pulls on one part of the polymers, they, they won't even notice like that they're being separated from their friends. It's like if a gang of skeezy people shows up at your party and it's like in between you and all your friends. And after a while you're like, whoa, did I just spend like 20 minutes talking to this skeezy person? Where are my friends, right? So not that water is skeezy, we love water, right? It does a lot of great stuff for us in textiles, but in this case, you put your protein fibers into a washing machine, they're gonna get damaged. Uh, so that's why we wanna treat wet protein fibers with the same gentleness that we would treat our own wet hair. The reason why a lot of protein fibers are marked dry clean, okay? Uh, which means that dry cleaning is the preferred option or, or a good option. Dry clean only means that they will not be responsible if you don't dry clean it. But things that just say dry clean, they're suggesting that the dry cleaning, which um, the molecules of the solvent in dry cleaning don't penetrate the fiber. They don't hang out. They're not, they, they don't act like water inside the polymer, right? So they don't weaken the fiber. And uh, they're suggesting that you, that you may not be prepared you may not be prepared to launder the item in the gentle way that it needs. 
but uh, you know I have some silk cashmere sweater sets that uh, I wash by hand in the sink using baby shampoo I pat them gently with a towel I don't wring them right I treat them like I would treat baby hair right uh, very gently um, I don't rub the surface briskly with a towel right I pat it and so I try to prevent the breakage from the weakness uh, I don't want to rub the surface because the fibers in that um, moist state or just uh, in general uh, the protein fibers can break with abrasion, right? So if you rubbed a uh, spot on your head uh, after a while, then hairs would break off. Um, dimensional stability is a big issue with protein fibers. Uh, they aren't very dimensionally stable. They can shrink. Uh, some of this is due to, to uh, the progressive shrinkage created by swelling over and over. We'll talk about this in a while, progressive shrinkage. Uh, but some of it is due to felting. I have a whole video about felting on my Textile Update YouTube channel. Go there, listen to that lady, online Dr. Hasfat, talk about felting because uh, she's got a lock on it. That was a little felting pun. But at any rate, the fact that it can felt, wool especially, means that we want to be very careful as well about abrasion, hot water, uh, uh, because those are things that can um, activate the felting properties. Um, Let's see, another weakness of protein fibers is that just like us, human beings who are made out of protein, we are vulnerable to damage from UV radiation, right? A sunburn is just the symptom that your body is in great distress, right? The damage to your DNA is done whether you get a sunburn or not, right? Whether you ever see freckles or not, your DNA can be damaged. And then depending on your um, genetic predisposition, you can end up with skin cancer. Well, textiles, that DNA, uh, they're, they're so your uh, fi protein fibers are not made of DNA, but DNA is a polymer, protein fiber polymer. The bonds in that polymer can be broken by radiation. Uh, the radiation is a, is a powerful force that can actually separate the bonds in the polymer, making it even weaker. Uh, this is the reason why we don't leave silk drapery exposed to sunlight in the windows. Uh, we wouldn't put a, a, a beautiful wool carpet right in the full sun because it will actually damage and weaken the fibers, not just fade the dyes. Let's see, what else? Oh, oh, oh. So um, things like um, uh, acids, right? Da you know, just like we would be damaged, we're made out of protein, we'd be damaged by, like think about the things you wouldn't like, right? You wouldn't like um, a really dry heat, it would dry you out, right? And um, you, you know, uh, you don't wanna use a, an iron on your hair for too long, it will actually damage it, right? In the same way, we don't iron protein fibers with a hot, dry iron. Um, uh, we, uh, we have to pay attention to the chemistry of certain things, right? So for example, some people have perspiration that's pretty salty and then add in things like um, deodorants, some of the chemicals there kind of combined to make an alkali situation and that can damage the, the protein fibers. Um, actually, a really big enemy is bleach. We use bleach to prove that something is a protein fiber, right? Um, you know, we don't use chlorine bleach on our hair, right, to bleach our hair. We use peroxide bleach, but it still damages your hair, right? When you bleach your hair, it's weaker, it's more fragile, it breaks, you have to be careful with it. 
Um, if we put protein fibers into a chlorine bleach solution, we'll actually see bubbles of oxygen being released as the bleach begins to oxidize the polymer. And that will tell us, oh, bingo, that's a protein fiber. It's not acrylic, it's not polyester because those don't react to chlorine that way. And let's see, another thing, um, they're vulnerable to insects. I know I'm vulnerable to insects. Uh, fire ant bites, oh my goodness. I am so allergic to fire ants by now, my feet will swell up so huge I can barely put my foot on. I mean, my shoe on. Uh, I have to run right to the bathroom, scrub my foot with borax to like try to use the alkali to scrub off the top layer of my skin and get that venom out, right? Um, in the case of protein fibers, there are insects such as carpet beetles or clothes moths that will eat the fibers, uh, the protein. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. They don't, they don't enjoy this protein. It's not like it's tasty. It's not like they're looking for it. They actually smell the spaghetti sauce or the salad dressing or the leftover cheese sauce that's on the textile, right? Like a carpet under a dining table. And they start eating those first. But then, you know, they just keep going because technically the wool or the silk or whatever is technically edible, right? So the best way to avoid issues with um, insects eating your protein fibers is to make sure you put them away clean so that insects aren't even like tempted by them, right? Because they don't like open the door to your closet and go, whoa, buffet in there, right? So getting things properly clean, spot cleaning really carefully to remove any kind of food stains, that's the way to prevent problems with um, insects in your protein fiber textiles. All right, so I've kind of told you the good, the bad, the ugly. All right, the ugly would be the, the wool felting. That's actually the most ugly situation. So ugly, I made a whole separate video about it. Uh, so hopefully that's a good introduction to what's up with protein fibers. Okay.